Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Well, good morning and welcome to Vessel. Good morning back. Thank you so much. I feel welcome this morning. Thank y'all for being here. Uh, I just want to say for a minute, just Ethan and Max, man, you guys are awesome. And I just thank you for relationship and, and for you guys being a part of the church. I know like we do, like this is a time where there's lots of senior activities and like churches have this kind of rhythm and this practice of honoring seniors. But man, it is so, such a huge part of who we are in student ministry. And student ministry is not about... TJ and leading the ministry or even our volunteers, but it's truly about our, our, our students and our youth that are a part of that. And I just want to like profess as a parent, uh, I'm so grateful for how my daughter's life, like she's sixth grade and entering into youth and, and involved in student ministry and what a good place that's been. And so like Max, man, I remember when you were a sixth grader and you would come to my house and we had youth at our house. And I remember those funny times. And it's a, it's a beautiful testimony to you, man. You've never changed. Like talking about a car, I remember all that sort of stuff. Do you remember whenever we were fishing and I cast your reel across, we were fishing, you let me use your reel. And he had this big fat like lure on there and I cast it and that lure just broke and went all the way into the woods. I was like, Max, I'm so sorry. And he was like, it's fine. I was like, you say that, but I can see your face. And I bought him a gift card to replace his lure to Bass Pro Shop. And Ethan, uh, you know, it's funny because you've, you've been involved even, gosh, a year or maybe a little bit more uh, here at the Vessel. And even that, like to see you become a part of this church and like to go and play disc golf with you and your dad, man, I've loved getting to know you. And, and just like even... We, we went out to eat after church one time, went to Santiago's and you were there. And I just remember we walked away and Shay and I were like, man, like what a, what a cool kid, what a cool man. And like, I, I just remember walking away and thinking, man, we were both so impressed with just how you engaged us, how you engaged our kids, how you've engaged the church. And man, it's a reminder of like what we do here at the vessel and being a part of a body of Christ matters. Like it matters to be a part of a family. It matters to be a part of a church. When we think about church culturally, we think, man, where do you go to church? Where do you attend? But what it truly means to be a part of a body of Christ and to shape every single one of us, because it's easy to see it in an 18-year-old that's coming out of high school and going to college, but it's happening in every single one of our lives, that we are called into relationship with one another and we're called into the relationship with the Lord. And so the, for the past several weeks, we've been talking about that. We've been in a series that we're calling Relational God. Uh, we have two more weeks of that. And so we've really just been looking at what it looks like to have relationship with God and how God, one of the most unique and powerful things about our creator and our savior is that he is not just some God that sits on the throne casting down shame and judgment and lightning bolts, but he's a God that intimately wants to know us 
and to have relationship with us. And he's calling every single one of us into that. And so as we've been going through this series, we've done a few things. We've had different testimonies from people in the church uh, and hearing about their relationship with God. And we've also been looking at different people in scripture and looking at how these, these people that we read about in scripture, what their relationship with God looks like. Joe taught the first week on Jacob and how uh, he stole his brother's birthright to where he wrestles with God, to where he sets up this altar and kind of this progression of him and his relationship with God, how God is consistent to, to chase after him and how he goes through these different stages. Uh, Jessica talked last week or a few weeks ago on Hannah and what, what it looks like with, with Hannah and her relationship with God. And this, she prays this prayer of despair, this woman that is barren, like we see a lot of women in scripture and how she's faithful to be patient and to wait on the Lord rather than making things happen to see God answer her prayer. And so this morning we're going to be talking about maybe one of my favorite people in scripture, not named Jesus. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Peter, the apostle Peter. And if you know much about scripture at all, or even the New Testament, you probably know something about Peter. And even if you don't realize it's about Peter, it is. And so he's kind of this this disciple that in a lot of ways stands out from the other disciples. And I love Peter because I relate to Peter so much. He is a total ready, fire, aim kind of guy. And that is my dude, right? Ready, fire, aim, I'm all about that. And he has all these really funny moments and these really profound moments in scripture where he sticks his foot in his mouth or he does something really stupid only to be redeemed. And he's this really lovable and relatable character for us. And I think you look at his life in scripture and you look at his relationship with Jesus, and there's so much that we can learn. But in his relationship with Jesus, he has often these moments that are like these watershed moments for him. These moments in his relationship that feel really pivotal, that feel really significant. And they're kind of these, these dividing lines or these moments of change for him that mark him. And the same is true about every one of us. When we think about our relationship with God, which you are on some level of spectrum of relationship with God. Now, you may have a relationship with God that looks about like your relationship with your CPA or your barista that's small, but on some way, some shape, some form, you are in a relationship with God whether you realize it or not. And so we see kind of these moments in his life that mark him that change him, that are watershed moments that divide and change this path that he's on. And so as we look at some of these, I want you to consider your own life as well. And then think about, as you look back, what are the moments of my life that have changed me? What are the moments that I've been in relationship with God that have been profound, that have been significant, that I look back on and I can point to and say, that happened to me. And it was real and it was significant. It might have been years ago, but it marked and changed me. And what you might not realize is you might be in one of those moments now. And so we're gonna look at Peter's life and, and I want us to resist the urge to look at, look at his life linear, but look at it cyclical. See how these moments pop up again and again. And when we think about these watershed moments in our lives, they're things that we don't go back from. Like this thing happened and who I was before or the way I lived before is changed because my perspective has changed. And if we're honest, that may be good, bad, and ugly and everything in between. But I want us to see from his life how God uses these moments. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna jump in. And so we're gonna be in a few different places in scripture uh, if you wanna start 
uh, kind of finding that in your Bible. We're gonna be in Luke chapter five, we're gonna be in Matthew 16, and then we're gonna be at the end of John, John chapter 21. I don't mean to jump around scripture so much, but again, I wanna highlight these big moments. So let's pray and we'll jump in. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for the truth of the song, how good the Father's love. God, and we sing that even though we don't feel that. It's true even when we don't experience it. We thank you, God, that you are a God that desires relationship with us. A most powerful, intimate, personal relationship that we've ever known. And I pray, Lord, that through our relationship with you this morning, that you would speak to us as a body, speak to us as individuals. God, help us take a look at our lives with, with freedom, without shame, with abandonment, to ex examine those moments in our lives that you've changed us, that you've marked us, that you've pursued us. God, would you speak through your word and amplify your voice and speak to our hearts and not our ears. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So as we look at Peter's life, um, like I said, there's, there's a lot of things about him that's really likable. And, and, and so Peter has this personality that, like I said, is this ready, fire, aim, foot in his mouth kind of guy that a lot of us can relate to. And we can see how this gets him in trouble a lot of times. We can look at his life and say, man, he failed in this moment or he did this really dumb thing. But we don't, often don't think about how that serves him well. And so how, how having that kind of his, his modus operandi, kind of how he operates, serves him really well in a lot of places. And so our first thing we're gonna look at is when, when Peter follows Jesus. So Luke chapter five, we see Peter being called as the first disciple of Christ and him being called. And this, there's a really um, kind of famous picture of this scene. And I actually, Sloan, if you would, put up that, uh, the first picture. So this is an image that is, uh, so if you know, I love art. I'm not artistic, so I was the president of the art club. I know that sounds super nerdy, but I was president of the art club, I just couldn't make art. Anyways, so this is a painting of this famous moment of Jesus calling Peter the first disciples, and uh, this is done by Raphael. It was, this is a painting that was uh, commissioned by the Pope in the 1500s, and it's actually a tapestry. It's a, it's a series of cartoons that Raphael, not the Ninja Turtle, the painter, even though the Ninja Turtle was named after, anyways. So, and it's obviously they're not cartoons, how we think of cartoons, but they're a series of paintings that tell these stories and the story of Jesus. And so he's commissioned to paint this. And this is a tapestry that was put in the Sistine Chapel. And this is this moment. You see Jesus here in this boat um, and you see Peter in this blue tunic, uh, his brother Andrew behind him, and this, this, this fish, this miraculous catch. And that's the name of this piece of art, is the miraculous catch. And so it's, it's this famous story that's found in Luke chapter five. Uh, there, Peter and his brother Andrew and some other fishermen, the sons of Zebedee, they're out fishing um, in the Sea of Galilee. And they fish at night. And so if you wanna ask anyone about fishing, you should ask Russ or Kevin. Dude, Kevin sent me a picture. What kind of fish was that? A marlin. He has this huge picture. He won some fishing tournament. So you're much more successful than Peter. And it was Peter's livelihood. So they get in after fishing all night and they've caught nothing. It's a bad night of fishing. And he's not having a fishing tournament or doing it for fun. He is doing it for his livelihood. And so uh, he, he comes in and they've caught nothing. I'm sure they're discouraged. And so Peter uh, kind of hijacks Peter's, or Jesus hijacks Peter's boat and really gives us one of the first sermons we see in scripture, although we don't know exactly what Jesus said. 
And so scripture says he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, who is Peter. He later changes his name and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. It's Luke 5, verse 3. And we see this image of Jesus pushing off from shore and teaching these people. And there's all these kind of implications that this isn't the first time that Peter has interacted with Jesus. The scripture doesn't tell us that directly, but there's a ton of context that he knows who he is. This isn't some rando dude that's walking in and says, hey, can I borrow your boat? Right? He gets in a Peter's boat, he pushes out from shore, and he uses it as a pulpit. And so he famously sits down and begins to teach, uh, and people begin to listen to him. And so I don't know if you've ever been in church or a service where you feel like the, the preacher who is speaking is speaking right to you. Have you ever had that moment where, man, they're sharing something, they're reading scripture, they're sharing a moment for their life, and man, it is cutting through bone and marrow, flesh and blood to your very heart, and you're like, man, he is speaking to me. That right now, what this person or what this woman or this man is saying is right to me. This is for me. I think about that, this moment that Jesus taught. Because we see a response from Peter. I think it, what it's like to hear Jesus teach. To sit there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee after an awful night of fishing. And to hear Jesus teach God's word. We don't know what he's saying but it obviously had an effect on Peter's life. This moment of Peter giving his life and following Jesus. And so when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, he said, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Remember, they haven't caught anything all night. They are coming in from the night. When Jesus finds them, they're cleaning their nets, they're picking up. And let me tell you, I like to fish. The worst part of fishing is cleaning up afterwards. It's cleaning fish, cleaning up after your gear, you're tired. And imagine doing that after catching nothing all night. And so that, that, that's kind of the place that they are. And Jesus says them to put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter responds, Simon Peter answers, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. He's this moment saying, look, we fished. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. Trust me, the fish aren't biting. They're not filling our nets. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And so Peter, for Jesus, he's teaching all these people. Peter's like this built-in sermon illustration for him. He's been teaching and who knows what. I don't know if he's talking about God's provision, God's love, the miraculous nature of Jesus, of, of God. But he tells him, he says, push out into deep water and let down your nets. Peter says, we haven't caught anything all night. There's nothing here, but because you say so, we will. And you know the rest of the story, as in our image, they, they pull up their nets and they, they're, the nets are ripping at the seams because they've caught such a miraculous amount of fish. And scripture tells us that the men are astonished. That these are fishermen that have, have generations. Zebedee and his sons, Peter and Andrew, they've given their life to fishermen. They're fishermen, not by, but by hobby, not by, hey, I decided to go into fishing. I went to school and I learned about fishing. Now I'm going to start a career fishing. But they're, they're fishermen by birthright. Their families have been fishermen and they're astonished. They're pulling up these nets and the nets are ripping at the seam. They call the other boat over and they're pulling these nets up and they're ripping at the seam. And so when this happened, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus's knees. He fell on his knees at Jesus. He's teaching the boat. He falls upon his knees 
And he says this, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And, and so were James and John's and the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. And he realizes who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah. He's the one sent. And he falls upon his knees. He says, don't even look at me. I'm a sinful and a broken man. And Jesus famously tells him, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats on the shore and left everything and followed him. And there's a few observations about this, big, this birth of relationship between Peter and Jesus and this powerful, significant moment. And that the first observation is that, that Peter believes in a moment, that there's a moment that he, he, he has belief in who Jesus is and it happens all at once. And I wanna tell you to never underestimate the power of a moment a moment in your life, these watershed things that mark us, to not underestimate what God is doing in those times, how he's speaking at you, what he wants from your life, how much he loves you. And in a moment he believes, he doesn't say, man, that's really cool. Let's go clean these fish. Let me take care of this. Where can I find you? Let me think it over. Let me get back to you about it. God moves and Peter responds. In a moment. Second observation is that he believes boldly. Is that he falls to his knees and he confesses his sin. That in this moment of belief, there's all these people on the shore. Is that he falls upon his knees, he confesses his sin. He's not worried about who sees him. He's not worried about how silly he looks. He's not worried if he's being made a fool. But in this moment, he believes and he believes boldly. And the third thing we see, or just an observation I have, there's probably a million as you read this scripture and I encourage you to, is that his, it's a belief in Jesus that cost him something. Scripture says that they are astonished at what a big catch it was. It's ripping the nets that these men couldn't even haul it into the boat. It's probably the largest catch that they've ever seen. And scripture says that he leaves it behind Verse 11, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything. They left everything and followed him. And let me tell you, here's the truth, and make no mistake, that following Jesus will cost you something, but it will give you everything. That to truly put your life in Christ and to follow after Jesus, it's going to cost you something but it's gonna, you're gonna gain everything. Jesus later says in Mark chapter eight, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Imagine if Peter, here he is in this multitude of fish, this miraculous catch. Imagine if Peter is facing this moment, follow Jesus, come and follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men or to go after this abundant catch. Imagine if he hesitates. Imagine if he says, hey, I'm gonna do this. Let's take care of this fish. Let's get this stuff in. But he leaves it there. Imagine of how his life would have looked different. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world but to forfeit their soul? So we see this beautiful image of Jesus calling Peter and Peter boldly in a moment following Christ, leaving everything behind, a belief that's gonna cost him something. And I love that. And I think that knowing that for Peter helps us kind of frame the rest of his life. 
So as you think about your own life, as you think about moments of whether it's belief or whether it's moments that maybe you've passed on, how that changes, how that's a marker, how that's a watershed moment. The second little area of Peter's life I want to look at is, is uh, this, this idea of Peter professing. And it's this really famous um, moment in Peter's life. It's where he gets his namesake. And I think, uh, Sloan, you've got a picture of this as well up here. So this is another, uh, if you've ever seen a picture of Peter that's an image of Peter, a painting of Peter's life, this is classically what it will look like. And so he's most famously painted with a pair of what in his hands? You can say it loud. This is participation moment. Keys. He's got a set of keys in his hand. And this is really classic. Any sort of stained glass that you see, any sort of painting you see, this is a painting by a Flemish artist, which Flemish people are like a people group of Germany and the Netherlands. Anyways, of uh, Sir Peter Paul Rubens. And this is how he painted Peter. as an old man with these keys in his hand. And this image of Peter with these two large keys comes from another kind of watershed, pivotal moment in his life in relationship with Jesus. And so later on in Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus is teaching and, and he's, he's, he's doing miracles and these wonders and he's healing people. And, and for the Pharisees, Jesus is being a real pain in the, you know what, uh, for these Pharisees. And they're frustrated. They're getting pissed at him. And like, what, what are you? Who are you? What are you doing? What, why are you causing us trouble? And they demand to see a sign. And this conflict between Jesus and these Pharisees arise. And they're, they're beginning to argue over what he's done. He has just fed the multitude and all these miracles. And these people are following him. And these Pharisees are frustrated. And so Jesus famously asked them. And they're, they're, they've gone to this region of uh, Caesarea and Philippi. And he asked his disciples, he says, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? He says to his disciples, he says, who do they say that I am? They say, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you are uh, another prophet or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So Jesus looks at him. He looks at Peter in this watershed moment of his relationship. And he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? What about you? He asked him. Who do you say that I am? I mean, when you read that in scripture, Matthew 16, 15, but what about you? Who do you say I am? I don't know if you write in your Bible or you highlight in your Bible, that's one. Like you should circle those red letters because that is a question that every single one of us must answer. You should put your name next to that verse of Jesus looking at you and asking you the question, okay, the, the world says I'm this, your pastor says I'm this, man, you were raised in this church or your family or Christianity or culture says that I'm all these things, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Because the truth is, is that only you can answer that question. You're the only one that can answer that question. It's this defining moment in his relationship. And Peter, in this moment when Jesus asked him this, he puts all his cards on the table and he tells him this. He says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah and the son of the living God. And right there in a moment, he tells Jesus exactly who he is. He professes for himself, not what the world said, not what even you know, the other disciples had said, but for him. He says, you are the Christ. 
You are the savior of the world, the one that's been promised. You are the son of God. You are God himself in the flesh. That is who you are. And Peter lays all his cards on the table. I don't know if you've ever been in love. That's where you say amen or you're like, yeah, there we go. Kevin, that's my man. Kevin knows what's up. I don't know if you've ever been in love, but it's that moment that you say, I love you and I wanna be with you for the rest of my life. It is all your cards on the table is this moment of saying, this is how I feel. This is who you are to me and you boldly lay it all out there. Man, and like that's a, like in your relationship with your spouse, that is a watershed moment because there are gonna be moments that you don't feel like that person loves you. You don't feel that person is very loving or deserve to be loved, but you look back and you say, no, you said it. We had this moment that you love me. It's this moment of falling in love. It's this defining moment that Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. This week, I, uh, I, I've been having the past week and a half, man, you can pray for me. I've been having these dental issues. I've got this tooth back here that's a, a, a mess and it's broken. And so I went in to see a dentist and I had this dentist look at it this week. And so I'm sitting in the, the dental chair and they're seeing, I was like six hours on Monday, them trying to work me in. And it was kind of like they were back and forth. Anyways, this super nice dentist was there. I'd never met him before. I'm at this office. He's kind of new. And so I start talking to him. So I get the old, uh, what do you do for a living question? And that can go one of several ways when I answer that question. Uh, and I'm really comfortable with all of the ways. You know me. So uh, he asked me this, what, this question. I said, well, I, I pastor a church. Uh, I pastor a church. And he immediately, he brightens up and he warms up and he kind of gets excited. Oh, really? No way. That's so awesome. And really, honestly, I'm a little disappointed. The, the evangelist in me that loves people that don't know Jesus, I was a little bit like, oh man, I was hoping he'd say, what are you crazy? What are you an idiot? But he doesn't, he really warms up. He's like, oh man, that's so awesome. That, that's so cool. He begins to tell me about his life and he does these, these, these medical mission trips uh, through kind of this dentistry association. He's been to He's been to Guatemala and Nicaragua and he goes and does this stuff and he tells me about his dad. He says, man, my dad was a, he said, my dad growing up was a devout believer and a devout Christian and just loved the Lord and was really devout. Man, my dad, when he was a, he was an orthopedic surgeon. He said, my dad was a surgeon. Anytime the pastor of his church would need anything, he did the work for free. I'm like, really? So, so you, you know, and so he didn't do my work for free, but um, He's like, man, my dad was just this devout believer. That's so cool. And so we kind of connect over that. And then I, he's like, now open up. He's going back in my mouth. I got my mouth open. And so we, we go through in this conversation. And later he kind of finishes this, this moment. He kinda, and he asked me the questions. He said, so, he said, have you, have you always believed? Have you always believed? And I was like, well, I was like, um, not really. I was like, yes, I grew up in church. And I've always known that Jesus, like I always believed in Jesus. I gave him the old Abraham Lincoln thing. I believed in Jesus like I believed in Abraham Lincoln, like I believed Jesus was real and a person and the things he did for his life. But the time that I gave my life to Christ and began a relationship with Jesus was this. And I, I shared my testimony with him about that. And so he, right before he's got his drill and his gloves and his eye, I'm like, and I tell him this, he's like, man, he said, that's what I want. I want that moment that you just described. 
say, ah, he goes back in, his hands are in my mouth. So I'm sitting there and he's working my mouth and then he takes his hands out again and begins to do something else. And so I ask him, I said, you know, um, I said, you said that, you said that's what you want. I said, so what's preventing you from that? What's preventing you from that? And he says to me, kind of set the, he kind of set back, he said, well, he said, uh, I've got a really personal story that's really messy and I'm thinking he's like, none of your business, right? He's got, I've got this really personal story that's really messy. He says, do you wanna hear it? I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> and so he begins to share the story of being a kid and it's a really tragic, broken, painful story that's interwoven with religion and God. And he shares this and I'm just like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you went through that. And I got to say, man, I'm praying, I'm praying this for you in this moment. And here I am in this dentist. And it's really that question. Who do you say that I am? Not your father that was a devout Christian, not all these things that happened in your life, but who do you say that I am? And every one of us has to answer that question. And if you're here this morning, man, and this is a moment and you've never been able to stand before God and answer that question for yourself, man, I can't encourage you enough to take that moment to right now say, this is what I believe. We're gonna close with a, with a song here in a little bit. And man, if that's you this morning and you're, you, God's moving on your heart to answer that question, you don't have to have all the answers right. You don't have to have it all figured out. But if you believe that, that he is the son of God that came to take away the sins of the world. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, life everlasting, not when you die, but now. Man, if God's moving, I, I wanna, I can't encourage you strong enough to make that answer, to answer that question for yourself. It says, you are the Messiah, the son of God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. He says, you didn't get this because you studied some scripture. You got this because God moved on your heart. Verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, name literally meaning the rock. He's like the original Dwayne the Rock Johnson long before the rock was the rock. Peter was the rock. He says, you're Peter, name literally meaning the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, if we have any Catholics in here, the, 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 Peter was the first pope of the Catholic Church, and they believe that, that a lot of the anointing of the pope that's passed down is that scripture right there. But what Jesus is saying is that I'm not gonna build my church on Peter personally. I'm gonna build my church on the profession of faith of Peter. He says, on this rock, on the truth, that who do you say I am, that you are the Messiah and the Son of God, on that and that alone I will build my church. You know, if you remember this January we started and we kind of talked about how God, this year, our focus and what we felt like God was wanting to do here, the best was to build. And I want you to know that when we talk about building his church, it's you, it's you and I. It's him taking our lives on what our profession is and building and using that for his kingdom and his glory. He does not say, you will build my church. He does not say, I will build your church. He says, I will build my church on the profession of what we believe and the life that we give to Jesus. And I can't answer that for you. 
Your spouse or your parents or your background or your good deeds cannot answer that question before for you. Only you can answer that question for yourself. He says, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you, Sloan, back to that, uh, will you show that, that image again? I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Man, that's where Peter gets his image. He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven based on the profession of your faith. I joke about my tooth, but I mean, I haven't slept in like a week. And I laid in bed the other night and I was like, Lord, I am in so much pain. I'm not gonna tell you how to do what you do, but I need you to do something because I don't have money. I'm in pain. This isn't good. My tooth is broken. And the Lord answered my prayer the next day. I've got three Motrin and an extra shrink Tylenol in my pocket just in case. But man, like, the next day, God provided for us financially to be able to do that. I saw a dentist that next day. And I'm not saying, like, he's not some genie in a bottle. But, man, I'm, I'm like, we're on him. Like, the profession of my faith, this is it. Like, I, we're all in for Jesus. And so you've got to answer that question for yourself. Just like that dentist says, man, I want that. I want that for me. I want that for you, too. And then the last thing we see, this is my favorite part of Peter and maybe the most powerful part of his life is we see Peter's failure. We see Peter following, we see Peter professing and then we see Peter failing. And right after Jesus says, you are the rock, the keys to the kingdom of heaven and on this rock I'll build my church. I will tell you how to find Peter's failure in scripture. So right after Jesus says, on this rock I'll build my church, move down three verses because that's about how long it takes Peter to fail. Jesus begins to tell the disciples after this, just three verses later in verse, in verse 20, he begins to tell his disciples that uh, he's going to die on a cross. And Peter says, no way, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Verse 21, Jesus turns to him and said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You have in mind the concerns of God, but you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Like, he, I just gave you the keys to heaven. I just said on this rock, I'll be, I renamed you, and here you are. And now he's saying, get behind me, Satan. And then immediately we see the failure of Peter. And I want you to know this, is that our failure, we think it disqualifies us from relationship with God and for what God wants to do, but it's actually our failure that qualifies for us. Like I said, we've been doing these videos, and so I want you to take a look at this testimony from someone of our church, uh, Ryan Betsing. I'm Ryan Betsing. I've uh, been a member of... Amen, wasn't that so? I'm Ryan Betsing. Think... Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. for two or three years now. You know, most of my adult life, I, I said I was a Christian because I... I thought I was a good person, and I thought that's what being a Christian meant. And I actually had a friend who we were actually going to a disc golf tournament, and he asked if I had been saved. And I, I told him I didn't know what that was, and he, he kind of explained it, but I, I didn't really understand it. After the event was over, I was taking him back home, and he asked if I wanted to be saved. And I said, sure. And so, you know, we prayed and asked Jesus to be Lord of my life. But then, you know, I 
I continued on with my life. I probably went out drinking that night. Um, but it definitely made me realize that I, I hadn't understood what being a Christian meant. And, and so it planted that seed, but I continued down the, the path that I was on, which was just being as far from God as I, I think I've ever been. Emily came into my life. We had Addison, great family, got married. You know, she, she realized pretty quick that my drinking was, was a problem just because I don't, have, I don't have like an off switch. Once I have a drink, I just want to keep drinking until either I pass out or there's no alcohol left. And that's pretty common for alcoholics. I told her I'd quit. I tried to quit. And actually, like, when we were doing our men's Bible study, um, the, the story of the serpent and the way it approached Eve, it, it, it reminded me of back when I was trying to quit, the voice in my head would just be like, well, she just doesn't want you to have fun. You know, just this sly little voice that tries to convince you that you're justified in, in whatever it is that you shouldn't be doing. Instead of quitting drinking, I just quit drinking around her and started binge drinking when I went out of town for work, which obviously not, not a good situation. I went way too far and ended up drinking and was still drunk at the conference that I was at. I didn't, wasn't aware of how drunk I was, but everyone there was, and they called and told my employer, and uh, all of a sudden I was, you know, took a, took a two-week suspension. I thought I was gonna get fired. Emily was like, this, this is it, you have to fix this. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not raising a baby in an environment where, where you know, this is going on. We went out of town and I brought my Bible and I just knew I couldn't do it on my own. And I just said, God, just please take this from me. Like just hit my knees, prayed, read scripture. And that was six years ago last week. Even just thinking about drinking a beer doesn't seem refreshing or appealing. It seems like it, like it just wouldn't taste good to me. Like he took that from me. You know, a couple of years after I was sober, um, I had a friend that called me one morning and he just said, hey man, like I just, I just got done, you know, being gone all weekend, drinking. I, I think I have the same problem as you and I need, I need help. And so, you know, I just, I just talked him through like how important it is, how much my life's better, like not having hangovers, not having your wife, you know, always ticked off. Um, and, and uh, I saw on Facebook the other day that, that he's, he just celebrated four years sober. So that was, that was really encouraging. And, you know, so my, my mornings now, my relationship now is, you know, I come out here, uh, this is my little spot. I get out here before the sun comes up and I pray and sometimes I listen to music. I have uh, the Bible Project app and I, you know, go through a reading plan and just, just sit here with God. It's super quiet and, um, you know, that's, that's something I wouldn't have had before because, you know, that's, it's 5, 6 a.m. I was, I was always hung over at that time before, before I found this freedom. Amen. Right? Watershed moment. Watershed moment. If you know anything about Ryan, he loves Jesus and disc golf in that order. Man, but like, think about it. Is that not the image of Peter's life? Right? He had this watershed moment. And what is he gonna do? It didn't mean that he needed to accept Jesus. He accepted Jesus and then failed. Just like Peter's is following Jesus, professes Jesus, then fails. And he's got this moment, what am I to do? And he, 
even in that moment, did he realize how powerful and significant what he did in that moment would be? And he says he hit his knees and he turned his life to Christ and God took it away from him. And man, to see how God uses our failures in some of our greatest moments. So we see that in Jesus. I mean, in Peter, we see this failure he has and how God uses it. And our failures don't disqualify us from the work of God, but it's our failures rather than our successes, our successes rather than our failures that qualify us for being used by God, that God wants to use us not because of how we're qualified, but because of our failures. And let me tell you this, if you don't have a few arrows in your back from following Jesus, you're not doing it, right? You're not doing it. You don't catch an arrow sitting on the sidelines. You catch an arrow standing in the line of fire. And that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And even in this, we see Peter fail time and time again. We see him cut off the the ear of the soldier who comes to Jesus. And Jesus has to heal and sew it back on in a miracle. We see him trying to walk out on water only to sink because of his faith. We see him finally in the most spectacular failure in the most spectacular way, denied Jesus Christ three times. Jesus tells him it's going to happen. He's on, the, on, the, on the eve of his crucifixion, as they had the, final, the last supper, Jesus tells Peter, you're going to, one of you is going to deny me three times. And Peter, in his ready fire aim, is like, who would do that? Who would do it? He's like, it's you. He said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter does it. He denies Jesus three times. In John chapter 21, we see after Peter's denied him, he weeps bitterly at his failure after all these years of following Jesus, professing he's Lord and Messiah, son of God. Jesus is killed, he's crucified, he's buried, he's resurrected. And before he ascends into heaven, what does Peter do? After all that has happened, before Jesus comes back to him, In John chapter 21, Peter says this, I'm going out to fish. If that's not the most Simon Peter thing ever, I don't know know what is. And so Simon Peter told them he was going to fish. We'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. Another night of fishing all night long and what do they catch? Nothing. The same as when Jesus calls him. They go out, they fish all night, they catch nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus is standing on the shore, but the disciples don't realize it's him. They come in from a night of fishing, and Jesus says, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He says, throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Man, the exact way that Jesus calls Peter, he restores Peter. The exact way. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. This is probably second on their list of largest catches. And in this moment, they realize that it's Jesus who's doing this. It's Jesus who's doing this. So he says, bring some of the fish we caught and they make a fire and Jesus has this meal and then Jesus redeems and forgives Peter. When, Jesus, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. 
And a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus and three times he's restored. I'm gonna invite our worship team to come back up and we're gonna close and we're gonna sing that hymn again, How Deep the Father's Love. And I just want you to realize that even in your failures, even in your rockiest, bumpiest, hardest moments, that just like Ryan professed, those are watershed moments for our lives. And I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I'm telling you, if you are at a bottom or if you are at a pit or if you are at a hard moment, and the Lord uses that as opportunity for relationship. And man, if the Lord is calling you now in this moment and he's asking the question, who do you say I am? Man, and you are ready and willing to answer that question, man, I would, I'm gonna be right over here and I'd love to pray with you for that. And if you're at a moment like Ryan shared where you're at this moment of failure and you're at this split in the road, whether it's redemption, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's brokenness, whether it's a confession of sin. And like Peter and like Ryan and like me, you need to fall to your knees and profess the need for the Lord and forgiveness. And I want you to know that our failures God is going to use to grow us, to sharpen us. And there's nothing that gives me as a pastor more encouragement than that because I fail. God's not asking or expecting me to be perfect, and he's certainly not asking that of any of us. So if you would, let's stand. I'm gonna pray, and then we'll close. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.